Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, brands win big in the latest radio listening figures. B-Sky-B aims to become Sky Europe, but what will that mean for customers in Germany, Italy and the UK? Former athlete Lord Coe withdraws from the race to become BBC Trust Chair, but is political interference a hurdle to finding a successful candidate? Plus, more puns like that, a quiz, hooray! And find out why there may, just maybe money to be made in podcasting after all. This is the Media Podcast, sponsored by Audioboom. Well, with me in the studio this week, a Media Podcast regular Paul Robinson and Moz D, former Talk Sport MD and now co-founder of Contented Digital Media. Uh, Moz, what is that? It's a great title, isn't it? Contented, see what we did there? The digital clearly very important. At the moment, there's three things that we do. One is really shiny, glossy TV commercials. Um, so that's one part of the business. The other is contract editorial. What on earth is that, I hear you cry? <laughs> well, basically, it's uh, building video to sit inside publishers' uh, articles for a- existing sort of media brands. So we do Daily Star, OK Magazine, that type of stuff, where you can read it, but also you'll get the infographic in the middle of it. And what that does is uh, increases the linger time for the user, but it also allows people to, guess what, sell pre-roll and advertising around the video. And if you haven't got the video, you can't get access to that cash. And we've just announced the launch of Turnstile, brand new platform. So that's video writing on the, on the subjects of football, gaming, gadgetry, and music, of course, is going to play a huge part in that. So do you think there's not really a million miles away from, uh, I guess, your homeland at TalkSport in terms of the audience who might be interested in that new thing? It's a broader audience, but I think I think one of the things that, uh, and they still, given the, the radar results today, I think are doing incredibly well. It's a very focused audience, but actually football fans don't live in a bubble. They've got mortgages, they drive cars, they're interested in music, certainly interested in film, certainly interested in gaming. I try not to know there's any football fans listening to me at any given point. It makes me shudder. (laughs) Uh, And uh, Paul, welcome back to the show. What have you been up to? You've scarcely been in the UK since we left you. That's true. I'm just a bit concerned about linger time and turnstile. Moz is creating a whole new sort of lingua (laughs) franca for media. But hey, we'll we'll talk some more later, I'm sure. Uh, No, I've been travelling. Germany, uh, China, which was really interesting. A place called uh, Shendao, which is where the Olympic sailing took place. And they've still got the rings up. And then week before that was in India, uh, in a state called Orissa, and uh, got caught in the monsoon for five days. And boy, did it rain. 
Your stomach must not know what continent it's in at any given time. My stomach is brilliant. My That's stomach never... One. He's only about four stone. Look at that. <laughs> well, that's my probably stomach, why. <laughs> my stomach never lets me down. The one tip is always drink bottled water. Aside from that, I can eat anything. I'm very lucky. Very, very wise words. Okay, well, let's take your wise words and uh, in the area that you both know very well, which, of course, is, is radio. Uh, we, well, producer Matt sitting here as well, all four of us kind of radio nerds, really. So before we talk about the Ray Jars in detail, because, as you said, they've, they've come out this week, that is the big news. We could talk about it for hours. But for people listening who know that Ray Jars is how radio manages its audience but don't really understand what they are and why they're important, guide us through that first. Okay, so Ray Jars does two things. One, it measures audiences so you can actually use them to help you program radio stations. So it tells you who's listening to what, when they're listening, how long they're listening. So that's a tool to enable you to plan your scheduling and decide whether this presenter's doing really well and should be moved up to a better slot or this pencil's coming off or this show's not working. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it helps with advertising sales. It's the currency by which you buy uh, radio. It's a, a joint system, so it's not perfect. It's shared by commercial radio and BBC. It's still relies on a diary and records your listening is then all sort of um, churned out and, and there's a small Very sample analog. that represents the whole country and then you get the numbers every three months. Yeah, Moz, you were just chipping in there saying very analogue. It's I mean, very analogue. Not I to mean, debunk the whole thing before. Not, not, no, we shouldn't debunk the whole thing. We're going to talk, I think, in detail about some really successful uh, sets of results for a lot of radio stations. Some of our, our old stomping grounds have yeah. done incredibly but well. But you're right. I mean, it, it is old-fashioned compared to TV. Mm. Uh, but the trouble is, no one's found a better way of measuring actual listening because all of the electronic measurement, and, and, and Kelvin McKenzie, my friend and your former boss, fortunately I never worked with Kelvin, yeah. uh, he had all sorts of ideas about electronic measurement. But the mm. trouble is, it wasn't measuring the same thing. Mm. It was measuring if the radio is on as opposed to if it's being listened to. Mm. And so whilst it's an imperfect system, it's the best we can do at the moment i think so we've got a few thousand people writing down on a pen and paper diary what they've been listening to in the future probably we're all agreed people should be paying a bit more attention to digital listening as well and who's listening through the website but since this is the system that we have paul what are the big headlines let's start with the bbc as moz was indicating there radio three a big story radio two and radio one have a story to tell as well yeah well radio two um pretty much settling down in total numbers radio two has been growing and growing and growing for the last seven eight years um its audience is now 50 15.5 million, 15.44 million a year ago. So pretty much the same as last year. But the story is that Chris Evans goes ever closer to that magical 10 million. He's now at 9.91 million listeners, the largest audience for any radio show ever recorded in the 15 years of this radio methodology. And it's an extraordinary number, well ahead of Terry Wogan now, and continues to grow. And, um, you know, you look at the blogs and he seems to polarise the audience. There are those who love him and, and say, you know, he's fun. He's got great guests. He's got a good mix of music, great outside broadcasts, you know, and, and he's got this ability to sort of make the trivial interesting. I mean, he can somehow make it sound like the morning is really urgent and happening when actually there's not a lot happening. He's got that ability. And others say it's just all drivel and it's banal and rubbish and shouldn't be on the BBC. But, you know, 9.91 million is a huge number and he has to be congratulated for that. Nick Grimshaw has been losing audience over on Radio 1, but it looks like he's pretty much flattened out now. I mean, 5.97 million so up marginally but uh, Radio 1 overall is about 10.8 million so down 220,000 on the year but it looks like Radio 1 that has been losing audience as a result of the changes made by Ben Cooper is now settling down. There are of course more changes to come, the ones that were announced as part of the most recent schedule change mainly in specialist shows, probably won't have a big effect on audience but it looks like Radio 1 is at least not losing audience for the moment uh, at 10.8 million which is a respectable number. 
Radio 3, as Moz was saying, and you mentioned, Ollie, is, is the big story. Radio 3 down 5.6%, which meant that Radio 6 Music, which is only on DAB, has now got more listeners uh, than Radio 3. Radio 6 Music at 1.9 million, Radio 3 at 1.8 million. Now, we knew this was going to happen because 6 Music has been gaining audience and Radio 3 has been using, losing audience for a while. It does call into question, a bit as Moz was saying, what is Radio 3 for? Now, Radio 3 is not meant to be classic FM. You know, it's meant to be a pillar of public service. It's meant to be about live music, about the proms, about uh, difficult music, uh, commissioning works, commissioning drama. But at 2 million audience below, you know, it starts to look a bit expensive. And I think... A new controller's coming in, of course. The existing controller is retired. Roger Wright's um, disappearing after many years. Top um, bloke, by the way. Really yeah, nice Roger Wright, great, great guy. Um, saw him on the train to Bedford all the time. Mm. But he, uh, the new guy coming in, new person coming in, does need, I think, with Helen Bowden to reinvent what Radio 3 is for. It's not meant to be Classic FM. It's not meant to have Classic FM's audience size. And you wouldn't just judge Radio 3 by how big the audience is. I mean, you know, your thing about uh, the, this makeup of the audience is a very AB audience but it's quite an old audience and very London-centric. And, Moz, do people then start asking, you know, even if there's a very strong case to be made against this, do people start asking, does Radio 3 deserve to have that massive national platform across the whole country when there's many commercial rivals and, indeed, BBC stations like Six Music Mm. that would like to have that frequency? I mean, yes, and maybe one of the questions is how it's broadcast, you know, how we actually broadcast it. Does it need that massive, very expensive transmission network? BBC has closed down BBC Three to make it a sort of a, a digital-only service, and I think that's increasingly less impactful as technology and, and, and ways of transmission improve. I think it's a, it's a huge challenge for the BBC. It's a mindset, and it's a mindset we have. We were talking about radio specifically in chasing audiences and having the largest audience possible, and that being the incentive for controllers. That being the incentive no matter how many people protest about that, it's what you know, it's what you do. The BBC, I think, has to reevaluate internally what public service means and then, as Paul quite rightly points out, effectively communicate that to the licence payer. You know, Radio 3 is something that could not happen under a commercial remit or it certainly would be incredibly difficult to make that happen. It's always struggled to communicate beyond it. It's beyond a radio station. It's commissioning new music. It's five, it's five orchestras, Moz. That's five one, orchestras, one of the big you know, problems. Absolutely. I mean, should the BBC proms, still have five orchestras question, at, uh, at the moment? Question, good, good question. Good question. Huge amount of uh, money. But it needs to refocus. But I think, you know, if, if you are going to have a high arts, a high culture uh, focused station or focused brand, then you know it is part of what the BBC is about. There is a place for it, but you know it will, it will become, I think, a more focused entity. We'll have to rethink and I think communicate more. That was always the frustration for me because Roger, just a little word on him, he's an amazing guy, hugely passionate about not only the radio station, about his genre, and I know Paul knows him, and you sit for hours listening to that guy, and if we're here now, he'd sell it to you in a heartbeat. <laughs> And has been a great servant of the BBC and is one of those characters who is, you know, dedicated his life to, to public service broadcasting. But time does move on. And I think that, you know, a refocus and a, and a new energy for Radio 3 that I think explains the licence fee uh, payer effectively what it does beyond just 
what happens on that transmitter, I think is going to be hugely important for it to survive. Now, this is being seen, as we've been discussing, as bad news for Radio 3, but actually even within the BBC, it's sort of good news for Six Music because they've got a bigger audience than Radio 3. So it's good news for digital, isn't it? And Matt Deegan, also another regular here on the pod, uh, wrote on Thursday that the big story here is actually about brands. Uh, Absolute 80s has 70% of the reach of the main Absolute radio station. Heat Radio, based on the magazine, now on the way to a million listeners. Uh, Moz, is this finally happening, that digital can compete with analogue and brands are really important? I think we're still talking about this. And and for me, having sort of working in a digital space now, albeit with, with film and videology... Videology me. is another new uh, word, so Paul. Write it down. Put it in the glossary. Yeah, just written it down. What yeah, does that mean, Moss? Something for the D-Lex. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll talk later. We'll talk <laughs> later over a pint, and I'll certainly need one after this. It's roasting, isn't it? Is that we're talking about digital versus analogue versus this, that. Actually, now, if you talk to my 17-year-old son, he doesn't distinguish to sort of uh, react to what Matt's saying. That's not an issue for him. And briefly, both of you, just on your alma maters, uh, Paul, I, I do think of Radio 1 when I hear you talk, because you do talk about it a lot. Looking at Radio 1 now, their drive to get listeners younger, it's stalling, isn't it? I think their average age is still 34. How are they progressing? Yeah, I mean, it's not really happened in the way I think they were hoping it to. Radio 1 uh, is still losing uh, younger listeners. I think Radio 1 is reasonably strong at the moment. Um, is it the best Radio 1 there's ever been? No, I don't think it is. And Moz, obviously, you're most readily associated radio-wise with Talk Sport. How, how did they do this time around? They did really well. I think it's the highest reach they've ever had. Well done to Liam Fisher, who was my deputy there, and well done to the whole team. Uh, that that station seems to go from strength to strength. Uh, I was gratified to see that the, the hours have strengthened as well, because that's Paul will know. That's one thing you often worry about, um, because we say we don't trade in reach. If you're commercial, you don't trade in reach. You trade in hours. That's your commodity, not reach, which is a mistake that a lot of people make. So your reach very often if it increases quite quickly, dilutes your hours, which means your sales capacity in the market shrinks. So it's a, 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 very often a balance that one has to play when you're a commercial programme controller. But he's done a great job. Yeah. I think they're very consistent. You know exactly what you're going to get when you tune in. I think the new hires have been the Johnny Vaughans, Colin Murrays, for instance, have worked really, really well. I'm delighted for them. Yeah, he's done a great job because actually after all that change, they could have been a hiatus. I mean, even if you make a change and it's a better change, Mm. audiences can react negatively. But to get 3.4 million and good hours, Mm. so total hours up, as you say, Liam's really a good act, Mm. really strong act. Mm. And it's great to see that station doing so well. And obviously, we didn't work together at TalkSport, but we did work together on it at um, (laughs) Talk Radio. I'd like to mention Jazz FM because good to see Jazz FM going up in London. Now it's on London DAB only. Mm. So Jazz FM had an increase of 49,000, which is good. Um, Interesting also to see that Capital is back at number one in London, uh, Magic at number two, and Kiss at number three on Reach, and Heart is down to number four. But number one by share. Number one by Reach. By share is a different story. But it's about Heart is number one by share, is what I'm saying. It, indeed. Yeah. But in terms of listeners, Heart looks like it's maybe losing the plot of it. Eventually, you're going to lose total uh, total hours, yeah, aren't yeah, you? Absolutely. N- losing audience is never a good, can never no, be. Yeah, it's not a good. Never thing. be a, a, it's a, never a, a, a good, good a good thing. Um, and then a couple of other quick ones. Interesting to see that Smooth in London. Um, Smooth has really struggled in London. You know, maybe the global strategy is working. I mean, good increase in reach. Thirty eight percent increase in reach. Forty nine percent increase in hours in the last quarter. Early days, but encouraging and i have to mention premier christian radio that's the star of this radar i don't know if you saw this uh, 54 increase in reach up to 240,000 listeners so well done to them
God is doing well anyway, uh, worldwide. That's a different story for a different show. I don't show, think he's doing very well in the world, but he's doing well on the radio. <laughs> no, Maybe yeah. people are not going to church. In terms of talkability. They're, they're not going to church, they're listening to Premier Christian yeah. Radio. Oh, you are talking about God. Sorry, I think you're talking about Richard Park. Uh, right, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. He'll last on LBC a very long time. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, of course, that's the big Rage Our story is uh, that I think you'll find I'm the number one overnight show in radio. I think, I think uh, in London, number one overnight show in London, that is the big headline story that somehow we missed. Uh, anyway, let's move on uh, to talk from radio to TV. Uh, and in more acquisitions news, Sky has announced this week they want to take over 21st Century Fox's pay TV businesses in Germany and Italy. Uh, it would form a pan-European broadcaster called Sky Europe at a cost estimated to be around £5 billion. That cash would then be used by Fox to help their acquisition of Time Warner, which is sort of always now being reported as a fact, isn't it? Even though it's been rebuffed. Uh, what with Liberty Global stake in ITV, Viacom buying Channel 5, is this the shape of things to come? More mergers and acquisitions? Well, I think the Sky move is actually in response to Liberty, who've been buying up assets all around Europe. Uh, they bought Virgin Media in the UK. They bought Telenet, which is the Virgin Media of Belgium. Uh, they then bought uh, Unity Media in Kabelbad and Württemberg, which are the big cable operators in Germany. And then they bought another one, I'm just forgetting for a second, oh, Ziggo in Holland. So they're building this pan-Europe uh, network. Um, and Sky was operating its three DTH businesses, straight-to-home satellite businesses, as individual entities. In a way, this is really an equity swap within the Murdoch empire, because actually Fox is owned by Murdoch, a diff- just different part of Murdoch. So now what you've got is your consolidation with Sky in the UK leading these two other broadcasters. What will it mean? Um, it's going to mean more and more that the expertise that's in Sky will be transported across to Germany and Italy. Pay TV in Germany has struggled because uh, in Germany every household's got cable. So whereas we used to have five channels, uh, in Germany they've all got 30. So how do you make the case of paying for more TV? It's a much harder case. And so they have struggled. But Sky Deutschland's now doing well. But what they'll do is the, the products that Sky's done so successfully, such as Sky Go, um, the VOD services, uh, the set-top boxes with the large two terabyte uh, storage, all of that will move to Germany. That strategy will also move to Italy. That will give them more buying power, more economies of scale. And you'll see a pan-euro Sky offer that's the same in all three countries. And Moz, for Sky subscribers, many of whom are the kind of people that you want looking at your turnstile platform when it starts... Uh, what difference does it actually make? If you subscribe to say in this country because you like the football, does it make any difference that they're a bigger company? The football's an interesting one. It'd be, it'd be great to get Paul's um, view on this, actually, because we're talking about sports specifically. Increasingly, the only people able or capable to bid the sort of numbers we're talking about, specifically about the Premier League, mm. are people who are able to offer a holistic approach to communications in your household. So it makes economic sense for Sky and BT to offer these deals if they're supplying broadband to you. They get you home with broadband. If they're supplying telecommunications as well, or increasingly we all use our mobiles now, that's where the players. If you're ITV, BBC, some of the traditional players, or other, it's very difficult to get into that market. You're absolutely right. And still with sport, of course, I mean, clearly, as you know, Moz, the Premier League, the Bundesliga, these are critical sports rights that a pay broadcaster needs. You know, these underpin vast numbers of customers. So a bigger sky has got more muscle going into the EPL discussion. It's got more muscle going into the Bundesliga. Say that, and it's interesting. You probably answered the question. The question uh, that that many, um, I think, commentators that I've read and listened to are asking: Is this a reaction, indeed, to the forthcoming 
bidding war, which will, will, will take place with BT, no doubt, with the Premier League. If you're spending that sort of money and that sort of war chest on acquisition, you've got your mind on the states and, you know, the acquisition that hasn't happened, but apparently has happened, according to reports. Where's the money coming from to prop up a sustained bid against BT? And is it, conspiracy theories abound, a strategy that sees Sky actually move back slightly from that battle, that fiscal battle in the UK for sports rights and the way that they've dominated and been involved with for so many years? Because it's going to take billions. Sky, to though, have to, they have to get the EPL. They have to mm. get the majority of games. Mm. If BT were to actually have more games than mm. Sky, that would damage Sky. At the moment, I think that BT hasn't really taken customers from Sky. People are buying BT Vision as well as buying Sky. But if they found that BT Vision had all of the games, I think they might well swap out of Sky into BT. Well, and that would be a big yeah, problem for one, Sky. Perhaps one of the other reasons for these acquisitions and they've had pay TV for a while over in Germany, but actually there is with the right product an opportunity there is a greater opportunity for growth if you take those all those markets together in, in those mature markets i mean how many boxes can you have in one house well, you, well know. you can have lots of the answer. hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part they're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. But the other part of this is actually what's Pay happened. Pay for then. You the can other have part, lots of boxes. Moz, the other part, listen, Moz, oh, Moz. Oh, the other part what? of this is, is ITV. Sky had a stake in ITV, which was Stop NTL at yeah. the time, uh, taking them over. That worked successfully. They were forced to sell part of that stake by the regulator. They've ne- Murdoch's now effectively sold that stake to Liberty. Mike Fries, who's the um, head of Liberty Global International, has said today he's very interested in ITV's content business. Now, of course, what Crozier has done very successfully, Crozier, the CEO of ITV, has done very successfully is build that ITV production base, sell those shows overseas, and that's really what's made ITV into a much stronger broadcaster than it was. He sees that content, I think, as being very useful for his Liberty businesses outside the UK. We don't know yet whether he's going to make a bid for the full company, but $8 billion, which is what ITV would cost, is half what he paid for Virgin Media. So it's not a huge bite for him. Well, on, on that bombshell, as, as they never say on uh, Sky Sports 3, I believe, we'll be back with more witty 
badinage and banter in an intellectual basis after this message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, which if you listen to any other podcast in the world, you'll know is an all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio and online store. But in a bid to differentiate ourselves from every other podcast, we have our own special offer code that you can use for a free trial and to get 10% off. Just enter the word MEDIAPOD at the checkout. There's a load of different creatives I know that use the service, from photographers to TV companies and radio freelancers. It's for anyone making content and wants to shout about it. You can drag and drop pictures, text or video links and let their fancy templates do all the hard work for you. So go on, start a free trial with no credit card required and begin building a website today. And don't forget, when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code MEDIAPOD to get 10% off. Let's tackle some other stories now, and we start with the news that Lord Coe has withdrawn his application to become chairman of the BBC Trust. Moz, do you blame him? Not at all. I actually had the privilege of meeting Lord Coe uh, at the House of Lords, and we had a, a spot of dinner and a chat together, which was nice. And I often felt that actually if he, if he ran for government in some guise, then uh, there'd be a great portion of the electorate that would follow him. And who knows? Mm. That might be in the back of his mind in uh, turning down this particular position mm-hmm. because it is a poison chalice. No matter what, it is a political position. Certainly from a lot of people who were in the running, it's a no-win position. The other thing, of course, is that, that come the next charter renewal, you know, it may not exist. If you put that all together on one plate, it's not a great meal, is it? But then so that, it's not that a surprise said, that people have walked away. It's sort, of, it's sort of a part-time job, though, isn't it? You get paid a decent amount, you get a public profile. In a way, if you think it's going to be dissolved in a couple of years' time, I can imagine it might be quite attractive a for a, a retiree. Job. I understand what you're saying. It's a hell of a, hell of a part-time job, but actually... As Paul know, these particular positions, they might be part-time, but they, they become a way of identifying you. You are, forever, you are called yeah. the chairman of the BBC Trust. That is how you're introduced. It becomes your life. It becomes your persona. And then you'll always be referred to as the former chair of. And depending on how you did or how much luck or luck you didn't have, you're sort of tired with it. And think for a lot of people who perhaps don't need the money, who don't need the prestige, it's just not worth it. And Lord Patton hasn't had a lot of luck, has he, Paul? Let's be honest. No, he's not had a lot of luck. You know, we don't know how much it's down to him and how much it's down to the banana skins that kept on arising. But I think Moz is right. Um, This is not the job of being chairman of the BBC. You know, when I was at the BBC, we had Marmaduke Hussey and he was the chairman of the BBC. And he, if you like, was the director general's boss. This is the chairman of the regulator that regulates the BBC. It's not the same thing. So as Moz says, it's not as prestigious. Everything that actually goes wrong at the BBC gets thrown at you. Either you fail to intervene or if something goes wrong, why did you stop it. So I'm not surprised. I do say, I do think though that Greg Dyke should keep his blooming nose out. I mean, Greg Dyke's become a professional commentator on everything. Well, I don't think anyone was... He's in- not there anymore. No, so there I thought he was a dreadful DJ. <laughs> Very few people were in tears when Mark Thompson uh, stepped away from the BBC of course, and what he's up to now is at the New York Times. Let's talk a bit about that. They are struggling in the online world. Profits down 54% thanks to a drop in ad sales and investment in its digital offerings. But those offerings, which actually break up their opinion, news and premium content into three separate apps, 
It appears to be the problem. That's what's leaving readers perplexed. Mark Thompson telling shareholders, we underestimated the challenge of presenting the new wider range of choices to our users and left some consumers confused as a result. Uh, So, Paul, subscriber numbers are starting to stall at the New York Times. How important is it that they keep experimenting in this kind of digital way? Well, experimenting is fine, but you're experimenting with shareholders' money and you have a duty to produce uh, results. And a 54% decline is not good in any way. I have to say that Mark Thompson's uh, statement there sounds very much like a BBC manager who's actually abrogated any responsibility and says, you know, we underestimated. Well, sorry, it's actually your job to get it right. Um, And look, everyone makes mistakes. And of course, we all make mistakes. And you learn from those very quickly. I think Mark Thompson needs to learn very, very quickly and sort this out. It seems to me it's overly complicated. Consumers don't understand. And therefore, rather than trying to engage, they're saying, we won't engage at all, and they're just walking away. You need a very clear, simple offer, and you've got to offer something that's compelling at a price people will pay. That's it, and then market it. And I don't think they've done that. I think they've done quite the opposite. You know, the New York Times is a great newspaper, but it's not replicated online. Online, it's a mess. And Moz, as I'm coming to call you in this podcast, Digital D, yeah. I'd like your, no, like your t- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd like your take on this because this unbundling mm. is actually a trend that's going across the biggest brands on the internet, isn't it? Facebook have put messenger in a separate app google have completely buggered up drive i don't know what they're doing there's there's docs and spreadsheets and it's a complete mess trying to use it but everyone's doing it so is it the wrong idea to try and separate all of your content into different apps to try and maximize i don't know advertising and and user uh, stickability advertising and the user journeys a very different experience this time so we were talking about turnstile an editorial meeting with turnstile so if you're talking about what you put on your home page or if you were talking in analogue, the front page of your magazine or newspaper, it isn't necessarily the story that will travel the most. People don't access it this way. They'll take a story that's been shared a little further down that, that, that's more shareable or catches the imagination and goes viral and comes in. And digitally, what brands are trying to do is up the amount of access points that people can have to their brand as opposed to keeping it in one place. But there is a way of doing that, and I agree with what Paul has said, and being very clear on what the brand proposition is. Mm. Right, The brand proposition for the New York Times should be very clear. It's a superb brand with a huge amount of heritage. It should work. It will work. It has to go digital. There is no choice in that. But I think the other failing, of, and it has to be Mark's, he's in charge, is culturally. And we see that a lot with a lot of print people that you work with is that there is a lot of gravitas given to the print end of the business, not only in the way that you write and not only the way that's presented, but in the way that it's sold and commercialised, and that the digital is still viewed with a little bit of suspicion. What you have to get absolutely right is an alignment of cultures, that actually it becomes one brand and it's doing a, it has a 360 approach to the way that it's making its content. But so often, you find very often that there's, well, we're a newspaper, we're this, we're that. It's still a little confused. And that's what that's the challenge for Mark. Culturally get it right within his own organisation. And secondly, as Paul says, be very clear to the audience what you're selling and what it is. And staying in the States and staying with apps now, Apple have just bought another startup. This one is called Swell for $30 million. Uh, Moz, what does it do? Why did they want it, do you think? Like so many tech sales at the moment, again, there's a huge amount amount of money swelling around the markets at the moment for tech startups. And when it comes to content, a lot of this tech is aimed at aggregation. 
aggregating a genre or aggregating a type of content. So if I can download Swell, it provides me uh, in the main with a whole range of content that I find satisfying that I want, and it's there in one place at the press of a button. So it knows what I like. It's a talk radio aggregation thing. Absolutely thingy. So I could find you on it, Ollie, one of these days. Imagine. Imagine. I I mean, well, this is the thing. You can find podcasts, of course, on Apple's own podcast app. But let's be honest, it's a bit crap, isn't it, compared to some of their competitors? And that's been a criticism recently. Mm -hmm. Do you think, Paul, this is what they're thinking? Because they're shutting down Swell. They're bringing the technology in-house. Yeah, I think that um, this is about, as Moz says, targeting so you get what you want. And it's really a recommendation engine. It's an algorithm that learns what you actually consumed and gives you more stuff like that. Um, And this is not a particularly new idea, but it's new in the terms of being targeted at a a news agenda and particularly being targeted at a car in the morning. And I think that's really Mm. interesting because the uh, attempt by Swell in the US has been to own that journey to work time, which in the US is longer than it is here. But I think even so, um, there's a challenge here for radio, back to radio again, because a lot of radio listening is done in the car. The reach in the car is 40% in the UK. And I think the big battle for radio in the next five years and the thing that radio execs have got to grip up in commercial radio and the BBC is making sure that radio still has a place in the car. This sort of app, if it really takes off, could completely screw that up because suddenly, as Moz says, you're going to get stuff in there. You're going to get talk radio, not the talk radio that we worked on, but the talk radio where it's absolutely what you want to hear and you want to know about for you in the car when you're driving to work. That's incredibly powerful. Be interesting to see how it impacts on the UK podcasting market as well because actually here, the journeys that people are making to work aren't necessarily in car. They're underground, aren't they? We, a lot of podcast listeners actually can't stream content at all because they need to download it first. I, I think what's interesting is there are more people, I think, with things in their ears or headphones on now yeah. than there were 10 years ago and they're listening to audio. It may not be live, but it's audio. So there's the opportunity. We've got to make sure we get a share of that ear. I completely agree with that. I mean, that's where I do the majority of my listening, on the move. I use the underground. Um, But it doesn't matter where you go in the country, people have got, you know, I want to be entertained. And generally, they, they choose their own playlists. When they want to come away from the music... They want to be made to laugh or think or, or whatever. And I think talk radio, I've said this oft, is the future of radio. It is the future of radio. And I've Chris, often said podcasts are the future. And One day we'll both that, be right. That, that's part of it. <laughs> and I think, again, we're talking about language, aren't we? Yeah. We're talking about oh, podcast versus radio. It's radio. It's audio. And it's a, what we have to understand, in, if we want to call the industry radio, how does that become one of the, a part of the same family? rather than it all being sort of somehow it's all divorced slightly. And monetise it because, I mean, no one's really making money on podcasts. Mm -hmm. But uh, this could be an opportunity. If you can actually find the audience for this podcast, you could charge for that. The audience does not pay for content. They do not do that, which is why Funbar Radio, I think, is is a flawed model. But if I know that 14... God forbid, Paul Robinsons are listening. They are very sort of well-educated, AB-type individual. I know that's happening. Then as a brand, I'm willing to pay for that. And that's where you begin to really, I think, make revenues and make money out of these things. Right. Now, when these commuters who have been listening to their podcast get home, what they're not doing is switching on London Live. London Live have now sent an application to Ofcom asking to change their service agreement. They want a reduction in local programming during prime time from three hours to just 60 minutes. Uh, They've told The Guardian they still want to broadcast eight hours a day of local programmes in this first year, but their plan to increase that number in following years has been scrapped. 
Um, it doesn't cause any delight to uh, say that we were right all along. But really, Paul, you know, everyone was saying to Jeremy Hunt, local TV isn't going to work. Exactly. And I think, you know, we, we said, we've said on this podcast that the economics of local TV are very, very challenging. But I think I'd say this. I wouldn't say this necessarily proves that local TV is dead because I think London is somewhat different. The figures are very disappointing. 150,000 reach in the first week and then it's averaging now 110,000 uh, a week, which is not very good. I mean, it's, you know, it's smaller than Premier Christian Radio in London. So, you know, that makes the point. The number of viewers is very small. And a very expensive freeview channel slot as well. And it's got a very good slot. That's, channel that's, Channel that's 8. Yeah. Channel 8 is a great slot. You come across it as you're cruising across. Yeah. So, you know, it should have a lot of people just finding it and sticking with it. Yeah. I think the problem is this. How can you be local in London? London is not a local community. I mean, London stories are national stories. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where government is. This is where industry is. This is where finance is. This is where the entertainment Absolutely. capital is. I mean, I, I, so I don't think London is actually a local market. I would say the test is going to be, can they make this work in Glasgow? Can they make this work in Milton Keynes? I don't know. Uh, Moz, is Moz knows he's shaking his it's head. It's possible. <laughs> but I don't think the fact London is struggling is necessarily the death of local TV mm. yet. Moz. I got... I got uh, in the very early days, got called in to talk to the team that were launching That's why it's London Live. London Live, completely. But not, not to give them any advice. We're talking about product. Oh, right. So we talked about London Sport, talked about you know, what you could do here and there. And actually, a hard-working, enthusiastic team trying to build an audience. And we all know what that's like. You know, it's, when it's not working, it's a really difficult time. But talking to them became very clear. We could do this, we could do that. No, too expensive. We could do that. It's too expensive. We could do this. It's too expensive. Programming, particularly televisually, costs money. Mm. You're talking about a very sophisticated London audience, all right, who've got no end of choice as to what they can watch or how to indulge their, their spare time. I agree entirely with what Paul's saying. I say that's why Radio London, BBC's channel, and um, up until recently, LBC, although that seems to have got over that hurdle, I found it very difficult to build London-centric audiences. You know, what is local London? LBC, of course, is now a national national station. Yeah, the right one. National conversations which happen to come from London. And uh, and as Paul quite right, it's it's the seat of, of, of government. Finally, there is, hooray, just enough time to squeeze in the highlight of everyone's fortnight. It is, of course, the media podcast, Media Quiz. There's a quiz. No, there is a, oh, yes, it's good, this. Uh, three questions based on the week's news, convoluted rules which change every single episode, and a cream egg prize. Simple stuff. So, this time, we're playing Name That News. Uh, I have three headlines... You have to tell me how many words you think it will take you to guess the story. Uh, so, Paul, what would you like to say you are going to name our first story in? How many words? Uh, OK, give me uh, four words. Four words. Moz, sporting man, can you do it for less? No, is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> OK, Paul first. Here's the first story. Here's the first four words of the news headline relating to this story. Doctor who to premiere. Okay, yeah, I do, I do, I do know what this is. This is about the first episode of the new Doctor Who series premiering at the TV festival in Edinburgh. Correct. See, now that was easy, Moz. Now, now, surely you've heard that. You reckon you could do this in three or two words, right? Absolutely. Right. I'm going to get three. I'm going to make this more interesting. Let's go for three. Right. Okay. Let's name that news, Moz. Evan Davis two. 
Well, it's... Uh, oh, let's have a think. Um, uh, <laughs> Wear Lowe's long jeans absolutely. and create controversy absolutely. needlessly. Evan, Evan, <laughs> Evan, talented presenter that is, is uh, set to become... Take over from Paxo at Newsnight. Correct. Good um, idea, bad idea. What do you think? I think that he's a, he's a hugely talented presenter. I'm going to get all politically correct. I know I shouldn't, but I think there is a plethora. In fact, the BBC is overloaded with fantastic women journalists. And I was surprised, really, that the BBC didn't take an opportunity to give someone like Victoria Derbyshire, for instance, who I think has done that show and, and done a fantastic job, that particular role. Because it's a very high-profile ro- role for the BBC. It's a huge one. And it was an opportunity missed, I think. But nothing against Evan Davis. I think, he, I think he's, he's a superb broadcaster. And it does, of course, solve the problem at today, because it means now Jim Nocte can't come back because they had one too many presenters on the Today programme on Radio 4. Right. Final story. Uh, Paul, what would you like to name it in? Can you do three? I think you could do two. Uh, I'm going to do. I'm going to do two. Okay, here it goes. In two words, name that news. ITV Studios. What's the story? Uh, right. Well, this is either uh, ITV Studios profit uh, because they've done really well in the most recent numbers, or it could be the Kevin Ligo story. Well, it, well, you've got to choose one. Which do you think it is? Okay, I'm, I'm going to go for um, Kevin Ligo has been oh. writing under a pseudonym. That's a lucky uh, break. And uh, his, lucky his break. programming has been commissioned by uh, the BBC. But he wrote under a name, I think it was um, uh, Ruby Solomon. Correct. Uh, Kevin Ligo wrote under the name Ruby Solomon and won the commission for a drama called Walter, which he says is somewhere between new tricks and minder. So and his daughter's starring his in it. His daughter's starring in it, and uh, presumably there'll be a theme tune sung by Dennis Waterman. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so who's won the quiz then? Paul, I guess. Ridiculous. That was a. I look forward to. I'll share the cream egg with you, Moz. It's a bit bit melted. Congratulations. Uh, Right, that is it for this episode. My thanks to Moz D and to Paul Robinson. We'll be back in two weeks' time. You can get the podcast as soon as it's ready by subscribing via our website, themediapodcast.com. This week's episode is dedicated to backer Gareth Harrison, who co runs Doodle Do Motion in Manchester, because that there is a media world outside London. Uh, Well said, Gareth. Glad it exists. And to Alison Ross as well, who would like me to describe her as a barely interested bystander. That's the kind of committed listener uh, that advertisers will certainly be drawn to. Uh, Anyway, thank you very much for your support, guys. I've been Ollie Mann. The producer has been Matt Hill. The Media Podcast is a PPM production and not affiliated to The Guardian in any way. See you in a fortnight. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.